You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW Talknet. Hi, everyone. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving, but it's back to work fighting the deep state corruption endemic here in Washington, D.C. for Judicial Watch. A lot to talk about today. We have uh, the out-of-control Mueller special counsel operation uh, with this uh, new plea deal with Michael Cohen, the president's lawyer, to talk about. I'll talk about uh, how uh, that just signals more harassment and abuse of President Trump, not wrongdoing. We have a new Clinton Foundation lawsuit. We sued for the cover-up documents by the Obama Justice Department. They covered up the Clinton Foundation crimes while presumably targeting President Trump or then-candidate Trump. Plus, we filed a new brief in support of the president's uh, attorney general pick, Matt Whitaker. The left is targeting him. And we also have a big brief that we filed with the Supreme Court over government abuse called asset forfeiture. And that's an important topic uh, for you to know about and learn about because it's a, a big issue in the states and uh, it's something that needs to be addressed by the Supreme Court. But first up, this new plea deal announced this week uh, about uh, uh, concerning Michael Cohen. He pled guilty to lying to Congress. Uh, it was a charge filed by the special counsel. Michael Cohen is the former personal lawyer to President Trump. And this plea deal alleges he lied to Congress about a, uh, a deal that went nowhere. The Russia investment opportunity the president had when he was a candidate in Moscow. He was thinking of opening up a building in Moscow. Uh, Mr. Cohen told Congress it really wasn't going anywhere. It had supposedly died around January or so of 2016, and he only talked a few times with uh, members of the Trump organization about it. So the plea deal suggests that it had continued a little bit further into the campaign season, into uh, just shortly before or after the president was nominated to the, uh, uh, to the presidency or for the presidency by the Republican Party, and that he suggested, and he also talked more than he suggested uh, within the Trump organization about it. Uh, to describe it, it suggests just how uh, much of a weak T plea agreement it was. I, I looked at the plea agreement. I looked at the charging document that was filed. Uh, it doesn't really even confirm that he lied. Uh, it suggests that he may have uh, not given enough detail, but whether he lied or not, I think it's arguable. Uh, but he did plead guilty to lying, and I don't think you should lie to the FBI. I don't think you should lie to the special prosecutor, even if you think he's unconstitutional and abusive. You shouldn't lie uh, because uh, he has the power of the federal government to put you away. Uh, but it's all about getting Donald Trump, though, isn't it? Just think about this. There, I think, have been six or seven prosecutions for lying to Congress. I think how often it's done. And they target Trump's lawyer on this. And it's all about getting the word Russia into the news, because Russia is the reason, supposedly, Mr. Mueller was hired. Not to investigate his real estate dealings in Russia, which were public at the time, largely, but to investigate whether there was improper collusion uh, between the Russians and the Trump campaign to steal the election. Anything improper in that regard. Of course, nothing has been shown uh, to date. 
There's no evidence out there there was any improper coordination between the Russians and the Trump campaign uh, to steal an election. So therefore, you've got this Russia investigation going nowhere. So, well, we'll just mention Russia in the context of an unrelated business transaction that went nowhere. The deal was canceled. It didn't, wasn't proceeded. It, nothing, uh, nothing proceeded. Now, the media is making a big play at the fact that Cohen had supposedly uh, emailed or tried to email Putin. What does that mean? I don't know what that means. You're, dealing, you're doing a deal in Russia, you deal with government officials. Uh, but it went nowhere in the end. So there's nothing being alleged that the president did anything wrong or lied or that, uh, in fact, his lawyers have said that what Cohen's admitted to saying or being accurate about the Russia deal is exactly what the president uh, 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 testified to in written answers he recently gave to the special counsel. Uh, So I see this as uh, the Mueller special counsel desperate to remain relevant and to tell and, and, and desperate to confuse the American people that they're still investigating Russia, when they're, in fact they're not really investigating Russia as generally understood by the American people. Uh, they're just harassing President Trump. And again, they throw this out there the day the president's leaving for a big summit in South America in the middle of a tense, ish, uh, a tense situation with Russia because this week uh, Russia has uh, escalated its attacks on Ukraine. It... Uh, took, I think, some boats uh, in their Coast Guard hostage, and, or uh, sailors hostage of the Ukrainian sailors. And President Trump said he doesn't want to meet with Putin as a result of this hostile act. And who comes walking in off the, off the side uh, is Robert Mueller with this plea deal, weak tea plea deal, uh, throwing Russia into it, and again, embarrassing and harassing the President of the United States. This isn't about the rule of law. This is about getting Donald Trump and doing whatever it takes to do it. And so I'm not convinced that there's much to this plea deal, and there's probably even less here that meets the eye, but I would encourage you to go ahead and look at it. Go ahead and look at what he admitted to lying about, and you can decide whether or not he even actually lied to begin with, but secondly, whether or not what he admitted to is an issue that is of legal concern to President Trump. Now, of course, the left is making hysterical uh, uh, arguments that this is going to lead to his impeachment and removal and prosecution. I don't see it happening if the Justice Department is being run by adults. But as long as King Mueller is allowed to run the Justice Department, uh, you know, the president should act as if Mueller is out to get him and behave appropriately. And if you can't get him, he'll get his family or he'll get, as is demonstrated already, his associates. So this is a serious issue in the sense that we have this special counsel that has decided to, he can investigate anything he wants. His charge is to investigate Trump and find anything he can out about him, which is not the way prosecutors are supposed to work. And again, this is again a, a, it shows you the weakness of the Trump-Russia collusion theory, which has always been a crackpot theory, I will remind you, generated by Hillary Clinton's Fusion GPS vendor who worked with Russia intelligence to come up with fake dirt on Donald Trump to give a pretext to their friends in the FBI and Obama DOJ to spy on President Trump and his team. And again, once he's elected, to continue to try to destroy him.
So they haven't found anything to bolster those claims that somehow Russia conspired with the Trump campaign to steal the election. So what is now Robert Mueller doing? He's prosecuting people repeatedly for lying to him in the course of this investigation. Again, perfectly reasonable. But let's be clear, this is, these are crimes that would never have taken place but for this abusive investigation, an investigation the Justice Department never should have initiated. The Robert Mueller special counsel was created as a result of corrupt acts by the FBI, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, uh, James Comey, stealing uh, Donald Trump's FBI records and then leaking him to the New York Times with the specific hope of getting a special counsel to investigate Donald Trump. And of course, it was his friend, Robert, uh, James Comey, excuse me, Robert Mueller. Oh, by the way, I, before I, I don't want to forget this, James Comey has been subpoenaed to testify to Congress, right? He just filed a brief, and I think it's being argued with this, argued this afternoon that Congress shouldn't be able to pro, uh, force him to testify under oath about his misconduct because Congress selectively leaks material. This man who admitted to leaking material in order to get a prosecutor targeting Donald Trump, a leak that was, in my view, illegal. He stole those FBI records and he leaked them. Uh, but this, this, is, this is the hysteria of the Get Trump effort. All the rules, all sense goes out the window. So we have in this context a business deal that was never consummated by the president, just discussed, that was perfectly legal and legitimate, that everyone is up in arms about, And you have Hillary Clinton, while Secretary of State, getting $500,000 personally because her husband got a $500,000 speech fee from a Russia company tied to Uranium One. It was a front for the Russian government. And of course, her campaign or her foundation, it's been reported repeatedly, has gotten millions from Russia interests who are trying to influence her Uranium One decision making. And who's getting investigated? Donald Trump. That's, a, that's an outrage. It's a miscarriage of justice. The Mueller investigation should be shut down. It doesn't mean that anyone who has been committing crimes should get necessarily a free pass. If you lie to Congress, you lie to Congress. You shouldn't, be get, you shouldn't get away with it. But this investigation would never be taking place. These people would never be caught up. George Papadopoulos, for instance, he lied, and he pled guilty to lying, and now he's serving jail time. He tried to get the sentence turned aside, but he pled guilty to lying to the FBI and the special counsel's office. But he lied about things that were perfectly legal. He had some of the discussions with people who were arguably working on behalf of the FBI, not the Russians, about uh, uh, emails supposedly tied to Hillary Clinton. And he was embarrassed that it took place after he worked on the campaign. So rather than tell the truth, he said it took place prior to his working on the campaign. And he was a lower, lower level aide by the, uh, uh, on the Trump campaign as it was. And this guy is uh, now uh, prosecuted for lying. Again, a process crime. He shouldn't lie. But let's be clear, he never otherwise would have been investigated but for this Get Trump effort. 
So whenever it, te whenever it tells you all these people have been prosecuted for lying, well, you know, they shouldn't lie, but let's be clear, they should never have been targeted to begin with. And this is why I always say shut it down, but I also think the president should target, uh, should, should pardon, President Trump should pardon those Americans caught up in Mueller's web. Because, I, you know, all things being equal, they would never have been investigated but for uh, their relationship to Donald Trump. Now, someone like Manafort, who's been found guilty uh, of serious crimes, pardon him. Now, he's facing a long-term, long jail sentence. Maybe you commute his sentence. But I don't trust any Mueller investigation. I don't trust any prosecution of his. I don't think they were made in good faith. And I think they were scandalous. We know that his, his whole operation was set up as a result of corruption. So frankly, everything he's been doing, I think, should be second-guessed. And we want the American people to have confidence in the fair administration of justice, and we don't have that with the Mueller operation. Look at, look at the craziness around Jerry Corsi, journalist, and Roger Stone in emails about who, about their guesswork about when WikiLeaks was going to release these Podesta emails and DNC hacked emails. I don't know who hacked them. The allegation is by the uh, special counsel. The Russians did it. Of course he goes in. I mean, he says he's trying to be forthright. He's sharing all this information. And then his memories refreshed. And he says, oh, well, maybe I did say this to him at this time or whatever, uh, to Roger Stone about the WikiLeaks email dumps. And the Mueller special counsel says, well, you lied. Well, as opposed to maybe you forgot. And you're happy to tell him the truth once your memory's refreshed. And either way, these guys don't have anything to do with Russia collusion. It's pretty clear. Mueller special counsel operation knows that. But they got to get their scalps to justify their continued existence as they try to target President Trump. So, uh, you know, this is why Judicial Watch has been investigating what's been going on with the creation of the Mueller special counsel, the misuse of the dossier, asking information about his budget. <laughs> the president was complaining about his budget uh, this week in tweets. 30 million, 40 million. I don't know what the budget is now exactly. But my view is every dollar spent by an illicit special counsel is a dollar wasted. And that's why it needs to be curtailed or shut down. Now, Matt Whitaker, the acting attorney general, has yet to do anything to curtail the special counsel as best we can tell. But of course, that I think is as a result of the left specifically targeting him. Now, as I've discussed before here, the left has suggested that the presidential appointment as Matt of Matt Whitaker as acting attorney general is unconstitutional. And to be fair, there are some conservative uh, types, intellectual types, who agree with that. But to be clear, the left is only concerned about this is because they realize that Whitaker now runs, or at least in theory, supervises the Mueller special counsel operation. Although regulatorily, this is why it's an outrageous unconstitutional abomination, the special counsel cannot be supervised day to day 
by the person who appointed him, the Attorney General, or Rod Rosenstein when he was running it. So at regulatorily out of control special counsel. So this weak T, weak, weak T Cohen plea deal, who's announced the day the president's leaving the country, and in the middle of a foreign policy crisis, another one with Russia, the DOJ, oh no, we'll, we'll interfere with the president's ability to conduct foreign policy. We don't care. Whitaker hasn't done anything. And because I think he's been he's been scared off by the left here. Uh, we filed a brief earlier this week, which leads me to our uh, to my next uh, discussion point here. In Maryland court, there's a there's a lawsuit. Frankly, I forget what the lawsuit initially was about. Well, anyway, the nine government defendants. And when you sue the government or government agents, let's say you sue the you sue the uh, Justice Department or the Office of Attorney General. You're not suing Jeff Sessions or Matt Whitaker or Secretary Pompeo in their personal capacity. You're suing the office. You're suing the government. And uh, what happened is you had the Justice Department, the Attorney General, as one of nine defendants in this Maryland lawsuit, but it was being pursued by um, um, uh, the state of Maryland. The uh, government came in and Sessions was fired or asked to resign by President Trump. So they substituted Jeff Sessions with the name Matt Whitaker. Now, Maryland, as using this to try to litigate the issue of whether or not uh, the laws governing the uh, uh, selection of the acting Attorney General Matt Whitaker are constitutional or not, or whether President Trump complied with them or not complete abuse of the court process. And, of, and what happened is all these other left-wing organizations came in and left-wing-run uh, states came in to support this effort. So what happened is the Justice Department is making an administrative change in the way the case is captioned, and the Maryland Attorney General is uh, trying to make a constitutional issue out of it. And so Judicial Watch filed an amicus brief highlighting this abusive uh, court process by these politicians who are just out to get Whitaker and scare him off from supervising Mueller properly. That's what this is about. It's not about, and there may be people who have serious concerns that you can't appoint an acting attorney general for a long period of time, 210 days, however temporary, without a Senate confirmation. I mean, as I've disclosed and discussed with you, it's been done since the beginning of the country. But we can have good faith disagreements there, but the left isn't doing this in good faith. They're trying to keep Mueller, they're trying to keep Whitaker back on his heels so he can't do the right thing in supervising Mueller or, frankly, shutting him down. And so we filed this brief the other day, and it's a good brief. I encourage you to read it in its entirety online. And um, we argue that the state of Maryland's naked attempt to wage a political battle in the courts should be denied. We argue that the appointment is valid. And um, the Maryland Attorney General misstates the law. Misstates the law. 
that Rod Rosenstein, this is what they wanted to do, they wanted Rod Rosenstein to be appointed Attorney General. They're saying the way the law reads that Rod Rosenstein needs to be appointed, and that's not the way the law reads. So this isn't even a close legal issue in my view. The Attorney General Succession Act in no way mandates that the Deputy Attorney General becomes the acting Attorney General. According to Judicial Watch, the state of Maryland's motion for an injunction also fails procedurally because its lawsuit is against Attorney General Sessions in his official capacity as Attorney General, an office he no longer holds. The lawsuit is not against him in his personal capacity. There's nothing for the court to do. The substitution of Whitaker's name is automatic. And there's really something here because uh, the Attorney General for the... Uh, for Maryland is Mr. Uh, Frosch, Brian Frosch, F-R-O-S-H. And this is what Frosch said about Whitaker when he filed this lawsuit. This guy, Mr. Whitaker, has extreme views and that's dangerous in itself. D.C. Attorney General Carl Rossin, yeah, the city of District of Columbia has an elected attorney general is leading the coalition of uh, left-wing states that is calling Trump's appointment of Whitaker illegal, unconstitutional, and runs counter to the rule of law. And then that Maryland's own lawyer in the case is pursuing a certain uh, aspect of this before the Supreme Court as well. So this is a well-coordinated left-wing effort to undermine the ability of the acting attorney general to do his job. And so what Judicial Watch has done is we also filed a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit or wherever the Maryland public equivalent of it is the Public Information Act to the Maryland Attorney General's office to figure out what's going on here. But anti-Trump politicians shouldn't be allowed to misuse the courts to advance their, politi their political agenda. And I hope the courts deny uh, Maryland's uh, claim here. But, you know, I, I tell you... You had all these powerful interests on the other side, and it's a little judicial watch who comes in to uphold the rule of law here. But it's again not about Whitaker. It's not about the president's ability to appoint Whitaker. It's not about the Constitution. It's not about the rule of law. It's, a, it's about allowing Mueller to operate without any checks and balances to target Trump and try to destroy his presidency and turn him out of office before the next election. That's what this is about. But someone's got to do the hard battles in, in, uh, in court to protect the rule of law here. So it's interesting in this case where the underlying legal question isn't necessarily to make you think about, oh, this is about the Russia investigation. But it is. And you need expert lawyers like Judicial Watch is blessed with to go into court and, uh, under, and argue all the issues necessary to protect the rule of law. But we'll see what Mr. Whitaker does. I mean, because I, I don't know about you, but I've been unhappy with the Justice Department. I know Sessions has been fired. Things haven't changed at the Justice Department, though. I've talked to you uh, recently about how we've been in court repeatedly on the Clinton email issue. We, a few weeks ago, we were in court. A federal court judge was uh, contemplating allowing Hillary Clinton to be deposed by Judicial Watch in person. And we had a Justice Department attorney 
come into that, uh, argue before that judge that Judicial Watch shouldn't have to be able to ask Hillary Clinton any more questions. And he cited the sham Comey FBI investigation of the email issue as, well, there's sufficient information out there. That is this Justice Department on behalf of this State Department protecting Hillary Clinton from being deposed in person. Uh, And more recently, we were in court on a separate lawsuit before Judge Emmett Sullivan. We wanted Hillary Clinton to uh, answer questions she was refusing to answer under oath in writing, including basic questions about whether or not how her email email system was set up, who decided it, why it was set up, basic interrogatories like that. Hillary Clinton's lawyer objected, which is his right to do and her right to do. But then the Justice Department's lawyer gets up there and agrees with Hillary Clinton's personal lawyer that she shouldn't have to answer more questions under oath, basic questions under oath about this email system again on behalf of the State Department. This is all under Matt Whitaker's watch, not Jeff Sessions' watch. So uh, you can see why the president perhaps is frustrated by what's going on, because he's not allowed to talk to the Justice Department, or so we're told, by the establishment types. Because now with the swamp, The Justice Department is a fourth branch of government that doesn't have to answer to Congress, doesn't have to answer to the President, and gets to do whatever it wants. And Judicial Watch doesn't buy into it. We're the only ones in town doing the heavy lifting on this big issue. We have over 30 lawsuits trying to figure out what's going on here. And, And, you know, speaking of Hillary Clinton, and I told you about the foundation and the, and the, and the, uh, uh, the connections between the foundation and the Clinton State Department that raise legal issues. Judicial Watch has a new lawsuit we just filed. We want information on the DOJ effort under Barack Obama to illicitly shut down any FBI investigation of the Clinton Foundation. Now, you may not know this, but the FBI reportedly was investigating the Clinton Foundation. It was Judicial Watch that broke open uh, the uh, uh, pay-to-play allegations as a result of a Judicial Watch FOIA lawsuit. Back in August of 2016, we received records uh, showing that the Clinton Foundation was being used as a uh, donor maintenance operation for the, uh, the Clinton State Department was being used as a donor maintenance operation for the Clinton Foundation. Doug Band, controversial guy at the foundation, he uh, had this uh, consulting firm called Teneo that Bill Clinton was involved in. He was constantly emailing and demanding from the Clinton State Department special favors for big Clinton Foundation donors. Now, specifically, in August 2016, a lawsuit broke open, the our Judicial Watch lawsuit, show that Doug Band pushed for a job for an associate. In the email, Band tells Hillary Clinton's former aides at the State Department, Cheryl Mills and Yuma Abedin, who are two top aides, that it is important to take care of, and they blacked out the name. Band is reassured by Abedin that personnel has been sending him options. 
So the Clinton Foundation was one way to get a job at the Clinton, uh, or the Obama administration, certainly the Clinton State Department. Remember, he ran the Clinton Global Initiative. You maybe remember that. Included in these documents that we had uncovered was a 2009 email in which email, uh, Band directs Aberdeen and Mills to put Lebanese Nigerian billionaire and Clinton Foundation donor Gilbert Shigori in touch with the State Department's substance person on Lebanon. Band notes that Shigori is a key guy there in Lebanon and to us and insists that Aberdeen call Ambassador Jeffrey Feltman to connect him to Shigori. Now, Shigori is, a, is quite a character. You could look him up. And we recovered, and after that, we uncovered time after time instances of Band and the Clinton Foundation seeking and getting favors from the State Department, hence pay to play. The FBI was following Judicial Watch's lead, and in January 2016, after we released this information, the Clinton, uh, 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 the FBI began uh, investigating the Clinton Foundation as it expanded from the email probe. It wasn't after we released this information, but after we uncovered that there were these Clinton emails on this secret server. Because a lot of this information was as a result of this, this server material being made public. And prior to that, in 2014, we exposed $48 million in speaking fees and other special arrangements Bill Clinton was getting from the Russians, all sorts of other foreign governments, that the State Department was perfectly happy with. So the FBI began investigating this in January 2016. Reportedly, the Justice Department shut it down. And in fact, the IG report that was released earlier this year says that Andrew McCabe, who was the fired uh, deputy director of the FBI for corruption, told the IG that in August of 2016, he received a telephone call from the principal associate deputy attorney general, uh, likely by the name Matthew Axelrod, regarding the FBI's handling of the Clinton Foundation investigation. McCabe said that uh, the uh, Deputy Attorney General expressed concerns about FBI agents taking overt steps in the uh, Clinton Foundation investigation during the presidential campaign. Now, meaning that the DOJ was thinking that any overt steps shortly before an election would be inappropriate. According to McCabe, he pushed back, asking, are you telling me that I need to shut down a validly predicated investigation? McCabe told us that the conversation was very dramatic and he had a, never had a similar confrontation like this in his entire FBI career. Ironically, McCabe, in order to push back against the idea that the foundation investigation had been shut down, then illegally leaked information in the Wall Street Journal and then lied about it. That's why he's potentially facing prosecution. So, I mean, the ironies and the, the circles here are just tremendous. But this isn't the only intervention. The FBI told the, uh, uh, was told by Justice Department they couldn't get subpoenas. No subpoenas for the Clinton Foundation. Hillary Clinton, at the same time that Hillary Clinton's campaign was coordinating with the DOJ and the FBI to spy on and target Donald Trump, she and her campaign and the foundation were being protected by the same Justice Department. That is the corruption story. That's the Russia scandal, everyone. And what Judicial Watch did is we asked for documents about this Clinton Foundation cover-up from the Justice Department. 
This Justice Department doesn't want to give us anything, so we sued in federal court. So hopefully we get something. Hopefully Matt Whitaker or whoever the permit replacement is for Jeff Sessions has a change in heart and starts being transparent about the Justice Department misconduct. That continues to this day because Hillary Clinton is still being protected, as I've described to you, by this Justice Department. So um, another important brief we filed this week, and it's, it's not what we didn't file this week. We filed it some time ago. But the Supreme Court hearing was this week, and it was in a case about what is called asset forfeiture. And essentially what asset forfeiture is, forgive me my non-legal, my non-legal definition of it, is that uh, the federal government, to the degree it was able to do that, uh, and, but mostly states, will seize assets of criminals outright and then use them for whatever purposes they deem worthy. And uh, you don't need to be convicted of a crime for the assets to be seized. Sometimes it's appropriate. For instance, a lot of drug dealers drive around sometimes with a lot of cash in their cars. And the cop pulls them over and they see they've got $50,000 in bills in their cars. They have all the indicia of drug activity going on. They say, well, you know what, we're going to take this cash. And if you want to litigate it, you can litigate it. And of course, being the drug dealers, they rarely litigate it because they know they've been caught. But on the other hand, you have people in this case, in this Supreme Court case, where it's abused. And, um, and frankly, many people would think the situation I've described is still abusive, that this is a person's property. If the government wants to seize it, there has to be uh, a court's order to do it before it's seized. But either way, uh, this gentleman in 2013, uh, a Mr. Timms, T-I-M-B-S, was arrested and pled guilty in Indiana to a charge of drug dealing and conspiracy. He received a six-year sentence, five years of which were suspended, and a $1,200 fine. Earlier in the year, Tim's had received a $70,000 life insurance payment after his father passed away. He used 42000 of it to purchase a Land Rover car. Tim used the Land Rover to deliver $225 worth of drugs. So this is another aspect of asset forfeiture. They seize vehicles and instrumentalities of criminal activity. The state seized the car under a state policy which allows private lawyers to sue for a forfeiture in order to receive a cut. The car was worth four times the amount of the maximum possible fine in the Tim's case. So essentially, this is a uh, uh, the lower courts in Indiana ruled that the penalty was grossly disproportionate under the Eighth Amendment, uh, which prohibits excessive fines. The Indiana Supreme Court reversed the lower court's ruling, and now the Supreme Court's deciding whether that's appropriate or not. So Indiana came in and said that. Uh, whether, you're not like, whether or not you like the Indiana law, the Constitution doesn't require that Indiana uh, provide the uh, protections that Mr. Timms is seeking. And what Judicial Watch has said, no, that's not the case. We said if it's allowed to stand, the ruling will allow state and local government abuses of forfeiture laws to continue, adding that freedom from unlawful conversion of property is an inherent individual liberty right which the Constitution must secure for all, all of its citizens. The Eighth Amendment's excessive fines clause must serve as a check against state forfeiture laws. Many states and local governments abuse their powers to seize government property. You know, I testified a few years ago, actually it was 
four or five years ago now, uh, to New York, uh, the New York State Assembly. And, uh, you know, in, in researching my testimony, I found that in a recent analysis, 85% of NYPD forfeiture cases, the owner of the seized property is never charged with a crime. I mean, that that's necessarily suggests there's something wrong. Now, we believe, and this is something that is more interesting, that the uh, 14th Amendment, the Privileges and Immunities Clause of the 14th Amendment, that citizens can't be deprived of the privileges, of immunities, privileges and immunities of citizenship would negate the Indiana abuse of law that we've talking about. So the Supreme Court heard this case the other day, um, and by all accounts, it didn't go well for Indiana. So it looks like we might be, for a change, on the winning side of this issue. Uh, we follow amicus briefs sometimes knowing it's unlikely we'll succeed in persuading the courts one way or another. But we think it's important to stand fast on behalf of the rule of law and behalf of the Constitution. So that's what we did in this asset forfeiture case. So there's been a lot going on here at Judicial Watch. Uh, you've got this Cohen plea deal. You've got Clinton emails heating up still. And uh, again, even on these other government abuses issues uh, that you may not hear much about in the media, such as this asset forfeiture case, Judicial Watch is standing uh, fast on behalf of the rule of law, and you are faithful supporters. So thank you for joining us this week, and I'll see you next time. I hope you have a wonderful and safe, I guess, post-Thanksgiving holiday. Thank you. Bye-bye. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.